0: Hey, welcome back, everyone, to the Intentional Well-Being Podcast. Season two is upon us, and I'm opening season two with a really um, wonderful, I want to say, activist advocate, just an incredible person that I had the opportunity to meet in 2017. When I was doing a workshop in London, England, like actually my first trip to London, England, I had the opportunity to do a a workshop at a a small studio called Indaba Studio. And I met Emma, who I'm interviewing today, and she has blossomed. Um, I think the conversation around showing up and creating diverse and equitable spaces, uh, was part of her journey in creating healing spaces for black and indigenous and other people of color and, uh, teaching people about, um, African spirituality, right? She's She mentors, she's creating brave spaces for people to share their lived experiences, reconnect with their African culture, learn about African spirituality, because colonialism has taught us that African spirituality is bad and something to be afraid of. And it certainly has been depicted in um, mainstream media as, you know, something that is evil when it is not, right? Everybody has a different way of pursuing their own spirituality. So she has created all of these spaces. She's a Yoga Nedra teacher. She's both Caribbean from her, I think it, uh, one of her parents is from uh, Jamaica, and she's also white British. She's a teacher. She's an educator. She's a leader. She's an incredible person. And we are going to meet Emma Kelly. So stay tuned for a lively conversation around intentional well-being, healing from our past generational trauma. What is our dharma? How do we move forward in the world and continue to share uh, the narratives and to speak out Uh, In service to our ancestors who didn't always have the opportunity or the safety to speak out. How do we heal ourselves from our generational trauma? How do we use our spaces and our platforms to continue to reach out to folks who are feeling... Sad or angry, or need a place to share their lived experience. And this is all the things that Emma is doing. And I'm excited to share her with you. Like I said, welcome back to the Intentional Podcast. And uh, let's get into it. Hey, Emma. Welcome to the Intentional Wellbeing Podcast grateful super grateful that you're joining me today from the uk how's it going
1: i'm doing really good thank you um i'm really happy to be joining you on the podcast and having this chat this interesting moment in history so yeah. in time
0: i yeah i gotta tell you i met emma um probably it's probably going on maybe five years i want to say 2017 maybe 2018 the pandemic confuses my timeline because i know for mm-hmm. two years i was Um, in a holding pattern, but I'll give you a little bit of um, intel or feedback. We met at a studio in London where I was teaching about equity, diversity and accessibility in yoga. And we met. And what I love to hear from you is we have, Kind of a similar background in terms of uh, we're both from the Caribbean. Emma okay. identifies as Caribbean, Jamaica specifically, and white British. She's a yoga nidra teacher. She's an Afro spiritual researcher. She mentors. And like me, she's a big fan of being in nature, walking. I call myself a tree hugger. I'm going to invite you to be a tree hugger a sea seeker, a bird watcher, a sun worshiper, like all the things that allow us to be in nature. And I have watched you evolve over time into a advocate or ally, or even a mentor for BIPOC, black and indigenous people of color and other people of color, um, holding space for healing, holding space or encouraging healing. And this has been really interesting to me because we do very similar work. And I love um, your identities because you have that identity of understanding Caribbean culture from your Jamaican background. And you have that um, you walk that fine line in having white British culture as part of your identity. And I love talking to people who have mixed ethnicity. My children um, will have I'm Canadian born uh as you were british born right i'm canadian born and my kids uh her, my their dad is full canadian and white and uh we really Uh, celebrate Beijing culture. My kids have been to Barbados several times. My mom teaches them about the culture because I think it's important that they know where they come from. And I'm a proud Black mom, so I'm very pro-Black in the household. Uh, I grew up at a time where it wasn't really fashionable to be pro-Black. It might be dangerous. Uh, uh, It might cause you Um, harm. So my parents were really careful to, if you will, tread lightly, because they were told kind of to tread lightly. So I'm pushing back against treading lightly in in life and speaking out and you are as well. So I invite I love people who are up to disrupting the narrative and speaking truth to power. And you do that beautifully. Emma, thank you for being on the podcast.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah, I was really reflecting on our time when we met you know things have changed so dramatically in the world and in the world you know we've obviously had um, black lives matter in that time period as well and that's really changed a lot for many people within the black community the bipoc community and there is a significant change in speaking up and not staying quiet you know this this safety in we must keep, keep quiet, not too much disruption. And that's definitely changed. um, That's better.
0: I I agree. And I kind of feel that that was the place that our ancestors were at because uh, for safety reasons and also for colonial conditioning and white Mm -hmm. supremacy conditioning, there were a few that were very outspoken and spoke back or pushed back against those narratives. But Mm -hmm. there are a lot of us who were traumatized and were scared um, and did not push back, which, as we know, has created a lot of, even when you do push back, generational trauma. And part of our Mm -hmm. intentional Mm -hmm. well-being is to unpack that generational trauma and to speak up. And I always Mm -hmm. tell folks, uh, we learned a lot from our ancestors And we are passing the torch forward, but we are not our ancestors. So we will be speaking up Mm -hmm. and we will be pushing back. Um, Mm -hmm. And we will be uh, standing on the shoulders of our ancestors who felt powerful enough to do that. Some were murdered. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people were, you know, made a lot of them were murdered. A lot of them were made examples of, uh, uh, but it's a new space and a new time. And we want to continue the legacy of speaking up, speaking out and speaking truth to power, no matter how many people try to push us down with Mm their colonial mindset and without doing their own um, self-study, if you will, around their connections to the delusion of white supremacy and colonization.
1: Mm -mm. Yeah. And I think it's really important, the thing about safety and speaking up, because, as you said, many of our ancestors were brutally murdered, tortured. And I mean, every every people who were colonised, they have this same violence that they may not even be able to articulate verbally. Maybe the, you know, families may not have even discussed it however we know within our bones that it's not safe to speak up because many of our ancestors would have spoke up and they would have experienced things that we can't even begin to understand so you know it's i suppose it's recognizing the compassion that we have to have for ourselves that yes we're going to be yes. scared and yes it's very very difficult and at times, you're not going to be able to speak up, and that's okay. If you're not safe, you don't have to speak mm-hmm. up. So, you know, sometimes you think, oh, I wish I'd have said this to this person, and I wish I had, this why didn't I do this? But it's not always possible to speak <sighs> up. We're not always safe, and that's still the reality in today. And it may not be to the extreme, you know, as our ancestors going yes. back, Yep. Even just 50 years, um, but it's still... I even say even year.
0: just 20 like years.
1: Yeah, I mean, even yes. now, there is we- still you know violence towards people. We've had a shooting in the UK towards a black man, so yes. it's still not that. safe. We're not as safe as if we were white um, navigating society. So we have to really look after ourselves because it does make us feel scared and triggered. It's it's not easy.
0: It isn't easy to walk around the world with brown skin and it can be extremely traumatizing because there's never mm-hmm. anywhere where you can feel a hundred percent safe unless mm-hmm. you're at home with your folks. Or you're in mm-hmm. groups of people in the community that look like you and can identify with you. I find some of the scariest spaces is when I'm the only outwardly presenting. Person of color. And I've been in spaces where there have been other people of color that I haven't recognized right away. And when they mm-hmm. identify themselves, then I see it. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. there's a lot of us. Et- and then there's a lot of people who are of mixed ethnicity, or I put mixed race in quotations mm-hmm. just because race is a social construct and there's only one race, the human race, but whatever we can, that's, that's a conversation for another day. But, um, who want to kind of feel safe in the identity of being white perceived. And I get that as well. I do not, Mm -hmm. um, I do not fault them because it's hard. And if it doesn't feel safe and you want to, um, you know, be in that identity that is also part of your identity, it's okay to to do that as well. Not all of us need to be brutalized or um, constantly be um, othered and, and treated differently if we have the opportunity. Like when I was watching shows or situations from the 50s and 60s when people were white passing and they went through the world as white passing, I don't, I don't fault them for that. If it mm-hmm. if it allowed them to live without brutality for a while, then mm-hmm. I think it's a win for everybody because it comes mm-hmm. back to that generational trauma, and that's mm-hmm. something around um, the podcast being called intentional well being. It's about decolonizing our mindset, it's about understanding what colonization and generational trauma looks like, and unpacking that so that we can have our healing, I hope, and not pass not continue to pass along this trauma to the next generation. There has Mm -hmm. to be a point, there has to be a part, there has to be a moment when people of color can feel safe in the world. At some point, it has to happen. Mm hmm.
1: Yeah, I think, thank you for talking about people who may present as white or you're not sure because that's probably, I fit into that category where some people may think, oh, she's white or, you know, many, many different, um, you know, lots of places have said, are you from my country? I'm not. Um, And something that's really interesting is, uh, you know, I do a lot of research around uh, women who fought back during slavery? And actually, there's uh, one woman mm. called Mary Mary Ellen Pleasant, and she was white-passing, and she used her privilege mm. to help and free many enslaved Africans. So outwardly mm. to the world, she used her privilege to gain a lot of you know wealth. She was one of the first millionaires in America. Um, wow. She wow. did a lot of work. And she gained access to the white privileged people. She gained a lot of um, knowledge, insight, but at all times, the community knew who she was. They knew, actually, yes, she presents as white, but she is African or black. And I think that's really important for if you're light presenting to use your privilege, you know, and yes, people may think that you are white, however, um, it's, it's how you are going to navigate the world that's important and how are you going to use that to help, you know, because actually mixed race people are more part of, especially black Caribbean and enslaved communities that we have been around for hundreds of years due to, usually due to violence. But many people will have mixed ancestry yeah. because of this. So we are kind of like a subset of the community where it's a little bit more complicated. But we, so. we have a little bit more of a duty, actually, I would say, to um, and a responsibility to do what we can, you know, because if we have that like privilege, we're going to have a lot of things that are easier. So for me, yeah, my principles is we need to step up where we can but also realise yes, we're experiencing extreme tra- trauma. Um yeah, but yeah, exactly. I think it's it's understandable that you may want to not speak your identity and ethnicity in certain situations that are not safe, but in other situations yep. you have a duty, <laughs> I feel, to say actually no. Yeah. I'm going to do what I have to do for my ancestors who maybe didn't have the same, um, opportunities.
0: A hundred percent. And I've had these conversations with a lot of my friends who may present as white or often have white folks ask them, what are you kind of thing, which is so rude. They're a human being and I don't understand why that's any of your business, but whatever, you know, human beings are curious. Um, and be a fly in the wall in situations where people aren't sure of your identity and you can hear what people actually really think because they feel right. like they're in a safe space to speak about their bigotry. And so it must have been, it's must have been interesting the things that you have heard and how that is affected you, because you too are carrying generational trauma. You too are carrying um, the violence of, you know, people asking you what you are or people making assumptions and saying things about a certain part of your identity that is usually untrue or just mm-hmm. really horrible, speaks mm-hmm. to their own bigotry. So you you must have had mm-hmm. to like deal with hearing something that has really, you know, either activated you or made you feel some kind of way and might not have been able to say, well, actually, I'm black or actually, you know, part of my identity is black mm-hmm. and this stuff isn't. This stuff isn't tolerated with me. Like, don't say these things to me. That's hard. Yeah. 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 It's uh
1: yeah, it did happen. It did happen probably a lot more when I was younger because when you're you know, you have even less power as a child. And yeah, in them situations you can't always speak up because, you know, it wasn't safe. And actually where I grew up there was a lot of violence towards um black, Asian mixed race people there was um the national front I don't know if you know what that's like a Mm-mm. racist English organization that you do not want to be around um so yeah where I, I where I was brought up it was yeah it was very it was violent there was a lot of violence and um a lot of things that you would be shocked to hear that as a child you would hear yeah. people saying um and, and just knowing people carried out what they said
0: yeah yeah that that was their intention and we're seeing the rise of that much much more both in America and Canada that has in no way gone away I think it's gone underground for a while and then given the last few and I call them regimes both in Britain all over the world the rise of the alt-right has mm-hmm. given people who should crawl back the rock they came from, an opportunity to sun themselves on the rock, which is unfortunate. And, um, you know, dispelling, you know, this garbage, which will never get us anywhere. And so I'm so grateful because you have decided to use your experiences and your life's work to create healing spaces Mm -hmm. for Black and Indigenous people of color. And so what made you decide to do this and what does your work entail? Like, how are you creating these spaces? Cause this mm. is a big project. There are a lot mm. of people who are really hurting out there who are really scared, who haven't mm. had a chance to unpack their own trauma and generation. It's a big project you've taken on, but mm. it's a necessary yeah. one. And I'm grateful. that you, yeah. I'm grateful that you carry the torch for that. We need you in our, mm. in our communities.
1: Thank you. Thank you. So, um, so, one of the reasons that i really started healing space bipoc and also the african spiritual spiritual traditions Instagram page was I was actually unwell for a quite a long period of time, and mm-hmm. um I wasn't really able to do much at all, so i wasn't I was able to do a very short yoga practice. Certain points I wasn't able to go out, wasn't able, you know, I was too tired to walk. Um, I was pretty much in bed a lot of the time. Certain times I couldn't even read a book because my concentration was so bad. Podcasts were a real, um, you know, that was one of the things that I could still access. And um, yeah, I just thought these are two things that are really important to me. I was listening to podcasts on African spirituality Um, I'd had the idea of healing space BIPOC for a while, but I think due to the fact that I really wasn't able to do a lot of anything, I thought actually I want to start this off as something positive for me um, to be able to connect with other people. Um, We were still, I think we were still in the lockdown when I actually started, so it was more of this connection online and I think yeah so I think I started it because it was for me I wanted to meet like-minded people because I had taught yoga for several years but where I live in Northampton it's mainly white british so 99% of my students were white british and we kind of had the lockdown I had to stop teaching and it almost seemed like a a point of like okay Should we try something new and different and go in a different direction? And yeah, so I started it and I had a generally a very, very good response to starting up the pages Mm -hmm. and sharing information. There was a few challenging people who were not happy with me doing an African spirituality page because of how I looked. Um, And that right triggered some people and there is a lot of trauma um especially if yeah I I I understand but it was actually quite it was a little bit it was quite violent towards me some of the words were really um a lot yeah Yeah. um so I think yeah as a as a mixed heritage person I do have that fine line and for me personally, there is the, the work that I do, it is community based, it's very free or low charge. I'm using my privilege that I have had time to read, you know, study all these things. And I'm basically giving this all away for free on Instagram because I want others to access this who maybe don't have the time, the resources, and to be able to share. So that's the. Mm-hmm um African spirituality I've done a few different workshops we've had like a book group as well that was really interesting and I've connected with some a lot of really amazing people who are like within different spiritual traditions you know Caribbean traditions like obia hoodoo practitioners mm-hmm. from the US mm-hmm. um so yeah it's been it's been really interesting to learn and connect with people. Um, So that's with the African spirituality. The Healing Space BIPOC is, so I do some BIPOC yoga classes. I do some mentoring as well. So if you're a healing spiritual practitioner, um, we kind of work through (laughs) some of the issues that we have, um, you know, Selling what we do. And uh, <laughs> what else do I do? Oh, and then also another thing, it's not technically Healing Space BIPOC, but I am doing a Marrakesh retreat as well, relax and renew. So oh, um,
0: nice. lots of
1: things going on. I mm-hmm. love that
0: you are incorporating all of these things. And what was interesting to me after what you just spoke, um, it caught me thinking along the lines of how difficult it is to tread those spaces when people look at you and maybe see the color of your skin uh, Mm -hmm. or your background and and say to you, who are you to be talking about or teaching about African Mm -hmm. spirituality? And it reminded me when you shared that, I felt a little hurt in my heart because sometimes I feel that those kinds of attitudes are also based in a bit of a colonialism that um that only certain people can do certain things and that's very much a, a white supremacist attitude on things that w- you have the DNA from that part of the world and though like because you're Jamaicans unless you're indigenous Jamaican which is a very specific um uh-huh. people the same way as Barbados uh-huh. there were indigenous Bayesian uh-huh. people that yeah. Portuguese killed off so there's nobody uh-huh. left I have a tiny bit Blood in me. My grandma had Mm -hmm. some, but I mean it's pretty much that whole group of people are have Mm -hmm. disappeared off the face of the earth. But I have a very strong connection according to my DNA profile to Benin, Nigeria, Cameroon. Mm -hmm. And that's the basis Mm -hmm. where all of my DNA, a a big chunk of my DNA, Mm -hmm. comes Mm -hmm. from. You know, just like my DNA is something like I think I'm 81% from you know, that part of the gold coast of Africa. And then the rest of me is like 3% Irish, 3% Iberian Mm -hmm. Peninsula, 3% British, you know, like all the Mm -hmm. places that colonize Barbados, I've got that blood, you know, in me. Right. So, and most Mm -hmm. people of either Caribbean descent um, or African-American descent, most of us have between, and I'm going to make an assumption that's probably true for British west indian people as well or british caribbean people as well that as much of 25 percent of our dna is white like and if that is true then for white folks there's some black dna in there as well so nobody it's Mm -hmm. a hodgepodge of the transatlantic slave trade and colonization Mm -hmm. so we do have a connection to that and why is it not okay for you to explore that connection and i felt the same way when Black Panther came out in 2017 and everybody put on a dashiki and went to the movie theater and was so excited to see, um, although it's not a true representation of an African culture, it's a bit of a made up one, mm-hmm, but it's mm-hmm. taken elements. It has quite a lot of, of elements of actually. Yeah, it does yeah, actually. When from African they wanted to include the continent, right? So they didn't pick yeah. one particular ethnic group, they kind of mixed mm-hmm, every, mm-hmm. a lot of these ideas together so that all of us had an opportunity to see ourselves. I love Ryan Kugler Krugler and his, his interpretation of Black Panther. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. But there were a lot of Africans in Facebook pages saying that now as African-Americans, and in my case, as uh, African-Caribbean-Canadian, who are now appropriating African culture because we were putting on these um, outfits and and we didn't understand the history behind them. And I wanted to say to them, we don't understand the history behind them because it was torn from us and we want to be a part of it. We're not wearing Mm -hmm. it as a costume. We're wearing it out of pride. I think there's a much different thing than to put on Mm -hmm. a costume and dress up as a person from another culture. Halloween is coming and if you are white, or not a person of that culture, don't do it. Um, I, I'm sad we have to tell you every year, but we gotta tell you every year. Um, uh, but, <laughs> but we were doing it out of a sense of excitement and pride. And then this big fight um, came out around mm. people who are actually African. You might even hear uh, Trevor Daly talk about. I think he's got a stand up show about African Americans telling people who are African Americans you're not actually African and I get that but we have a we do have a tie to that and we want that which is why we were doing this and I kind of feel now I'm making complete assumptions here and I know I'm not supposed to do that but I kind of feel your connection to that work is because you are digging deeper into who you are yeah yeah yeah,
1: yeah. I'm 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 African I my ancestors are yes. African that's that's who they are it's (laughs) not um that's you know there's no question about it if you if you are black you are african descent you know and and the (laughs) thing is that we have to remember that colonialism made sure that we pitted ourselves against each other okay and we're saying like well you're from africa you sold all us people off to the caribbean and it's all very like down the middle, like you're bad and we're good because in Jamaica and the Caribbean right. there is, and actually, you know, this this anti-African and African hate of saying, well, why didn't you stop Ooh. us being sold into slavery? So I'm gonna put you all under oppressor and you didn't the come and save power. us, you didn't yeah. fight, you just gave us up. But this is completely false, like history. I'm However, black. it's been created, the colonisation, to, um, you know, it's always about fighting each other because if we come together, we're much more powerful. So if you are black, you are African. Oh. There is no question about it. Like, it it seems ridiculous, yeah. <laughs> you know, to say, oh, African-Americans are not African. It's a little catch in the name if it's African-American. And, I, you know, I'm laughing, but actually... I have to be respectful that some people genuinely have been given the wrong education information. So they believe it because this is what they have been taught to hate themselves. Because if you yes, if you hate Africans, which I have heard it before, I've heard it when I was younger. If you have this disdain for Mm -hmm. Africans, you have that for yourself and you actually hate a part of yourself. You know, even if you don't, you don't quite put it together. There is definitely a dissonance and a disassociation that you actually think you're better than somebody who is on the Mm -hmm. continent, and you're from, you know, and this like Caribbeans against African Americans again, like it's it's actually ridiculous because we all have the same, we have the same grannies, cousins, you know, we're all actually connected and probably from. Similar families, tribes, all the rest of it, and our people would have been all together. The transatlantic slave trade brought us all together from all different countries, tribes, everywhere.
0: everywhere, religions,
1: and we had to all coexist together and figure out the best way to survive. So we, we, you know, I think it's that thing of like we're gonna just stop history, and you're not gonna know your history. That's that's a part of colonization. Just to completely exactly. <laughs> erase Africa from the identity. Yes. so yeah, it's a, it's a but then also I recognize that actually yes, I am mixed race and I, I will yeah. I do have white British heritage as well. so you know yeah. I do have more privilege that's a fact and it's how we use that is important, you know because if if a mixed race like person, is going to oppress and put down black people, African people, and think they're better, mm-hmm. then I don't think they need to have that. They don't need to be embraced by the black community, no. Just like it's if it's agreed. somebody who is black who is oppressing other black people, which we have everywhere, they do not need to be embraced at all. Yes. <laughs> so yes. yeah, it's agreed.
0: A, I have to say that.
1: It, it makes me really it's like incredible. It's a hard one because it's it's, it's, it's so it's prevalent.
0: Yes, really, prevalent. it's so problematic. It's so part of our culture. It's so ridiculous. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, it, it's hard to overcome, and, and it's very much that colonialized mindset. Because I tell folks, um, I w- I live in Canada, right across from Detroit, and when I was in university, I would go over to Detroit and dance in the clubs, right you know, go out dancing with my friends in the clubs. Mm -hmm. And I would often have African-American men come up to me and go, oh, you're an Island girl. You think you're better than us. And I'd be like, no, I don't, I don't. I'm like, how (laughs) could you tell we were from the Caribbean? You know, and they would say, you just have a different, and I'm just like, I don't know what that means. Um, And I don't feel that I'm better than you. So I went home and asked my mom (laughs) about it. And she said, yeah, there's this ridiculous idea between the Caribbean, Caribbean and African-Americans that were somehow elevated. And I said, there was slavery in the Caribbean. That is how the British... Mm-hmm. And Britain got as rich it was, as it was, and became a superpower from stealing mm-hmm. from India and stealing from the continent, and colonizing the Caribbean. That's how they. That's how the royal family has mm-hmm. millions of dollars. That's how. That's how. That's why Britain owns twenty five percent of the landmass of the world that they now have romantically called the Commonwealth, which is really just mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. colonization, like the rewriting of history, right? And so yeah. I, I didn't understand that, like when when Africa. African-Americans come at me for not being African-American and talking about our shared experience of oppression, I have to remind them, this is a colonized mindset. When they were Mm -hmm. ripping us from our families on the continent, they weren't saying to each of us, oh, is this your mom? Oh, and is this Mm -hmm. your dad? Okay. Oh, you're all an ethnic group? Okay. You're all going to Barbados. Oh, Mm -hmm. you're Mm -hmm. all an ethnic group. You're all going to South Carolina. Oh, you're Mm -hmm. all together. You're all going to Britain. We were from Mm -hmm. different ethnic groups. We were from different tribes. Mm -hmm. We were from different things that we were just all herded together as one homogeneous people. And then Mm -hmm. we had Mm -hmm. to survive. So Caribbean people created that culture to survive. Mm -hmm. What do we have in common? How do we survive? African-Americans created a whole nother culture because how do we band together? And how do we survive? And what kills me about Mm -hmm. all of it is even though we were under this duress and even though this was so hard for us, we created a whole new culture. We had no choice but to come Uh together regardless of our backgrounds and create a whole new culture so that we could survive. And then Uh that culture becomes appropriated and monetized and commodified for white people to benefit from. It just, Uh it kills me. Our music, our food, our style, Uh our clothing, doesn't matter if you're from the islands, or if you're from Europe or you're from America, that gets monetized by white folks all the time. And we had to create that from nothing. Many of us can't yeah. say, well, my great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was from here. We don't know. We don't mm-hmm. have that. But if you're like, you know, Irish or Scottish or whatever, you can probably try you can probably draw a straight line back to the minute mm-hmm. your people mm-hmm. arrived. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's this yeah. is amazing to me. So I love that you are teaching. Mm-hmm. African spiritual identities. I love that you are mm-hmm. talking to people about this because we need mm-hmm. we need to even deeply unpack our own colonized mind. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's, that's how we get. To, that's the only way we can heal.
1: Yeah, and I and just the thing about the African Americans against the Caribbean, like the Caribbean enslaved Africans, that was not a holiday. The Caribbean is a destination now it's a holiday I've actually read somewhere that somebody said well you've got a holiday in the Caribbean (laughs) and it's like every I think also this thing of like oh well this slave slave trade was better than this slave trade or this person the people in this country it was better than this country um or depending on the work that you did as an enslaved person it was better Because I've heard the thing about, you know, if you're darker, you're in the fields, which was worse. If you were lighter, you were in the home. And the thing that you have to remember is the violence in both was horrific. It was different types of violence, you know. And I won't go into the violence in the home because that's a very triggering discussion. But this thing about and it back, can use you know at certain times saying, well, yeah. you're in this position, you're in that position, you had it better. Nobody had it better. It was all horrific yeah. to de- to varying degrees of horrifying. So yeah. that's something that I've heard. And also the impact on Africa, West Africa of mm. the transatlantic mm. slave trade. There were people who traded. there was a small percentage. But the the damage that was done to West Africa and Central Africa to have so many people stolen from communities, you had warriors stolen, leaders, you had children, women, who in the millions, they were taken away. So the actual impact on West Africa was horrendous as well. So nobody had a good time I'm not using well yeah I've seen it was (laughs) I've genuinely seen the thing that the Caribbean was a bit of a holiday or it was an immigration or it was not it was (laughs) I don't know (laughs) but this is the things on the you know on the internet that and actually maybe somebody doesn't have access to education they may read something on the internet and you know they they're younger or they don't have the access and they might genuinely believe this so I have to remember not to have that condescending laughing if somebody doesn't know right they genuinely don't know you know um and that's part of the process of you know we need to unlearn all that nonsense and then we've got to start learning okay what was the actual truth you know we've been told this that African spirituality is the devil, it's scary, it's, right. you know,
0: right. we're
1: going um, to hex you, which you can, <laughs> I'm not against hexing people that need to yeah. be hexed, but again, it's that, that self-hatred <laughs> so of like, we, we're so scared of what's actually ours, you're scared of your own yeah. great-grandparents, you're scared yeah. of your own yeah. people, really. Um, so yeah. yeah, it's, it's a very complex unlearning and healing of it, but I think more people are open
0: these days, which is a really positive. I agree. Cause I'm finding this fascinating and I'm going to do some work with you and follow, follow up with some more work with you because mm-hmm. I really do mm-hmm. want to unpack this. I have a deep need to know where I come from and who I am. I have a deep mm-hmm. need to know why things fire me up, why I get mm-hmm. so put out or angry, or why do I feel that this is something I have to do? Um, I have my suspicions about certain political leaders in the United States that I may or may not be uh, related to, um, because just based on what they look like and what they sound like and what other people mm-hmm. in my family look like and sound like, I have some feelings about things. And I just mm-hmm. I want to know. And that's part of my intentional well-being and my bigger healing is I really want to know who I come from, where I come from, what my, you know, to an extent what my ancestors had to suffer. And I um I had somebody like trigger me on my Instagram this past week when I, you know, this podcast is going to go up during uh, the time that Britain is more is mourning the monarch and I'm not mourning them at all any of it because they are the like for me they what uh Queen Elizabeth II represented for me is the hallmark of colonialism and I'm tired of folks telling me that well she doesn't really have any power and there's nothing that she could do I don't believe that like I just I I just she's the most powerful
1: woman in the world and she was the richest woman in the whole entire world. <laughs> That's quite a lot of power that yes. she had.
0: It is quite a lot of power. It's not legal. Yeah. I can't tell you how I've had many people roll into my DMs or write on messages on the posts that I made about the atrocities of India, of mm-hmm. Ireland, of the continent at the hands of the British monarchy and the creators of colonialism and the true history. I can't tell you how many people have reached out to me and said, well, she doesn't have any power and I wish you would take that down and all that stuff. I'm thinking, what do you mean? She might not have had legal authority over anything, but she had massive influence. She did. She had
1: legal authority. She did. She had to give the Royal assent of approval over every single law. So if she didn't pass a law, it was, she was the final say on every single law <laughs> in that country. So and I'm guessing, I don't know. Me, yeah. Like, you know, yeah, she literally did. Then. Yeah. She had a lot of power. Yeah. She really did. Um Yeah. And to say that she didn't uh, from a legal, yes, yeah, she did. She
0: really. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, did. yeah. People are like, take that post down. It's not true. I'm like, until you prove it's not true, up it stays. Because it is a, it is somebody's, it was an educator's breaking down why people are mourning what, and not Mm -hmm. allowing black, brown people and other European people who were brutalized by colonialism and the, and the current system in place, not allowing them to have their own reaction to her death and and demanding everybody be respectful because she's Mm -hmm. a 96 year old woman. And how dare you? And it's Mm -hmm. always amazing to me that old white women get a pass on everything. And I mean, the problem is she wasn't 96 forever. She sat on the, she just had her platinum Jubilee. Did she not? So she sat on the crown. She sat on the throne for 70 years. There's so much she could have done. She never acknowledged colonialism she never acknowledged the harm that it caused or slavery or nothing and she even had Mm -hmm. the power that when people from the commonwealth or countries from the commonwealth wanted to break away she had the power to encourage them not to so i'm Mm -hmm. sure i don't understand why all of a sudden because i've never been into the royal family i never i used to i always would call them the lucky sperm club Like, Mm -hmm. like what what do you do like, what do you do? I don't understand what, what the point of your existence is. Yeah. Take like our taxpayers' only... money. That's
1: what she does. She well, she did. Exactly. And pay for her, she did. Well, now her very family. large family. <laughs> very, very large family. She was a she was the ultimate um so in the UK we have this thing about about benefits. People who get benefits who don't work. They're so demonised, they get a very small amount of money. But she was really you know, doing no work, but receiving lots and lots of wealth. So,
0: yeah. The people who tell me she was dutiful and she took her duty. I'm, and I keep saying duty to do what exactly? To
1: uphold white yeah. And supremacy. duty because to who, I who as well. Yeah. yeah it was to, to certain yeah, exactly. people. Yes. Who was it? Who was her duty to? It wasn't to people like us.
0: No. It definitely no. wasn't. They could care less about people like us. And to have people tell me they no longer respect me and, oh, because I'm not mourning the Queen. Yeah. But also, it's the thing
1: with her son as well, Prince Andrew, that we can't forget that she used millions of pounds of taxpayers' money to pay off this woman who was abused by him. So I think the reaction to the Queen, I've been thinking about this, is a real. It really says a lot about British culture, that it is a culture of silence. It is a culture of sweeping things under the carpet. It is about respectability and not at all about accountability. We do not have that culture here. And Mm, that family (laughs) dynamic that she has, I'm sure you're going to see a similar family dynamic across the country where you have people in power who make all the decisions you may have people within that structure who are abusive. I'm going to say that's what was going mm-hmm. on. Who people will not say anything. Mm-hmm. They will not challenge. It is the culture of, of silence. And um, yeah, it's it's very telling that actually, you know, if somebody dies, you have respect for the dead but you don't have to gain that respect it's it's not through your actions it's through how polite you are and how uh, respectability you know that's really mm-hmm. the most imp- one of the most important things of british cult- english culture that i'm a part yeah. of that as long as you say it with a smile through gritted teeth it's okay mm-hmm. it's it's very passive (laughs) we have a very passive aggressive culture Uh, and as long as it's with a smile and as long as you don't say too much it's okay you can just about get away with it but if you do it with emotion if you do it with passion and outrage (laughs) outrage is not allowed here um because then you you will be pushed out but yeah it's very this is the culture that we live in yeah stiff upper hip yep yeah amazing we have a big issue (laughs) big problems
0: (laughs) big problems and it doesn't allow people to heal to tell if you don't allow people their truth and you don't no. allow people their representation. You can't mm-hmm. you don't get to heal. You don't you don't get to be. You don't get in a moment for intentional well-being because you now have to unpack all your own trauma and figure it out and then have yeah. people tell you to get over it or people yeah. deny it all together or people gaslight mm-hmm. you all together. So tell me yeah. about your spaces. Tell me about your healing mm-hmm. space for BIPOC. Tell me what yeah. are some of the things you do within that space to help people find their mm-hmm. way to intentional well-being.
1: Yeah, so um, within the, the 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 group work that I do, so whether it's the African spirituality or within the yoga class, there is the part about sharing. So, you know, we each have the opportunity to share from our, you know, our own truth and have our own voice because when we get in spaces that are mixed, we tend to feel silenced, we tend to feel... Um, yeah it it can be very daunting to really share your truth in a mixed situation so when I say mixed this is white and BIPOC and Mm -hmm. a lot of people in the sessions have said yeah I feel that way that's something that I know that's something that I experience but they haven't ever necessarily verbalized it or said it to other people Mm -hmm. and there's great healing when you share in safe spaces and you're listened to and it's Yeah, I think that sharing, it definitely opens up a lot of things that people are scared to talk about. So it could be... Mm -hmm. So I think with the African spirituality, for example, it could be the, you know, like maybe the religious trauma of being taught to hate and fear African spirituality. Um, And that's a common thing, sadly, that the there's a lot of trauma, (laughs) a lot of trauma around that. But Mm -hmm. when we share our, when we share our stories, I think it's healing. And that's a part of African spirituality and African tradition that you share, you do storytelling, there is a point in the story where you can, you know, hear the challenges, but hear people overcome the challenges as well. So it's kind of taking it full circle and we can see ourselves within the story and within the narrative and not outside looking in and we can be centred, which is a real, it's a unique experience when we're in a BIPOC or um, black African group, We are, our stories are actually centred and it's like, wow, this, it just doesn't happen. We don't have to explain. No. We don't have yes. to, you know, make all yes. the, like, mm, how's this going to be taken? Is this going to be dismissed? Is it, you know, yes. there's always that thing that you're never quite sure what the other, you know, if it's in a mix, you just you just don't know. And it's like, right. can I take this, yeah. this risk? And people feel yes. like they can take more of a risk when it's um, a safer community. So that's one aspect yes. of sharing um and also so within my yoga classes the um the course is about radical rest and reclaiming autonomy over our bodies and our minds and last night we were discussing you know some of the harmful things about you know the more marginalized you are the more you're expected to work and earn your rest and you don't want to be seen as yes. lazy the stereotypes yeah. you have to work twice as hard to get half as much as your white half as far. Yeah. 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 So it's a lot of uh, I suppose it's like reclaiming what's ours and then mm. opening up and saying actually do you know what this has been a struggle of mine and I'm not I haven't been sure where to go But then once we open Mm -hmm. that dialogue, that's where we can find that healing. And I share, I have people that come along and they share from their knowledge. But then also me hearing from other people, that heals me Mm -hmm. at the same time. So Mm
0: -hmm. it's slightly
1: more egalitarian than if you were in um, a mixed space, I think.
0: Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The things mm-hmm. I, I'm jotting things down as you're saying them, cause I mm-hmm. want to put them in the show notes, but I'm always, mm-hmm. what I'm hearing you say is the power of collective healing and community healing that, that helps each and every one of us. And to create these, um, these brave spaces to speak your truth mm-hmm. and not have to worry that you're going to be gaslit, dismissed. There's something very magical for us to be, to be centered instead of being the afterthought And, um, I'm watching a lot of young women and young little girls heal, uh, the Mm. trailer dropped for the new Disney movie, the live action Disney movie of Ariel. And of course there's a lot of very strangely middle-aged white men having a heart attack over Ariel, not being a a white redheaded person. (laughs) Very strange. (laughs) It's very strange. Um, Mm. I don't know why they're watching this movie, but, um, In the Hans Christian Andersen original, uh, the mermaid is green and is a siren that calls people to their death. So um, a lot of people have taken liberties with the story and made it something else. So if you really want to go back to the original, that's what you're wanting to go back to. But it's clear that they don't know the history of Mm -hmm. Hans Christian Andersen and (laughs) what he intended story and there's a deeper message behind that one that you you all can do a little research Mm. around some identity for Hans Christian Andersen but I've been posting the pictures of young girls seeing Ariel for the first time to counter that Mm. other narrative and watching the tears in some of their Mm. eyes and being I'm getting emotional now and being excited that she's Mm. Mm. that she's black because when are we centered in those kinds of stories like when Like when um, Miles Morales came out as the black Spider-Man, my son was 15, the same age as Miles Morales. And we sat in the movie theater and my kids were silent and riveted to this because they too could be Spider-Man. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and the, you know, the, just the pushback of these characters that are fictional, which tells you anybody can reside in that space and to center that space is what you're doing is to have mm-hmm. people have, like, I just got emotional hearing you say about it. And then I just got emotional talking about it. That's my trauma coming to the surface. That's mm-hmm. me working through that feeling. And that's mm-hmm. me being heard and seen. And mm-hmm. it's so important. I'm glad yeah. you're doing this. I'm glad you Thank didn't get you. scared off because I'm sure people came for you. <laughs> I'm glad that, that didn't deter you.
1: Yeah. It's scary. It's very, thought- it can be challenging. And I, wobble and wonder what I'm doing (laughs) why am I doing this I could do something maybe easier but this is my uh this is what I have to do do.
0: yeah yeah Yeah. and why do you feel it's this is what you have to do because I love to hear people's stories what rivets them I call it you know a come to your 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 power moment this is where Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to be
1: this, mm,
0: regardless of people coming mm, at me for no good reason this is what I, where I'm supposed mm. to be
1: yeah so I so my feeling is that it's an ancestral calling to do this work because yes.
0: Yes.
1: my yes some of my ancestors were silenced and could never do anything like this they it was illegal to be in community they weren't allowed to come together they were not able to speak their truth and I I know deep in my heart that many of them tried to speak up and they were harmed. So it's almost like yeah. I'm taking the torch yeah. of the work that was started and disrupted at different times because obviously people, you know, some people were able to move forward but I know certain experiences that I've had um, ancestral work I know that people were silenced and stopped and it feels like a deep I just know inside my in my bones that I have to do it and it's not the easiest and I think that's when you know it's your true calling because you could probably do something absolutely easier and not as difficult and yeah so I think I know it's ancestral but I think for me as well is it's me reclaiming my voice and actually saying no this is important to me and I'm going to speak about it regardless of what other people think and keep going as best I, I can Keep going
0: and I'm glad mm-hmm. you I'm glad that you're out there I feel very much in community with you because I feel exactly mm-hmm. the same way about the work mm-hmm. I do and I'm yeah. grateful to have come into community with you and i'm grateful to see the rise of powerful black and brown women speaking their truth and standing up and saying now is the time and we won't be angered or rattled by you know bigots and white supremacists mm-hmm. and we are not our ancestors you cannot silence mm-hmm. us we are not mm-hmm. our ancestors you cannot silence yeah. us the power dynamic we is shifted, which is why you're terrified yeah what's that
1: we have more safety now we do we're we're, for our ancestors they couldn't do it before because you know male domination i now have autonomy we earn our own money we can be on a platform you know that wasn't around so we have that safety to carry on the torch and say this is the next step this is the next level of healing isn't it
0: it is And I think I'm Mm going to stop us right there because I think that's where it is, that level of healing so we can get to that intentional well-being. Emma, I could talk to you for hours and hours and I'm feeling very activated (laughs) and emotional in a way Uh by this conversation. And I always need to come back and talk to other Brown and Black people whenever I'm feeling Mm -hmm. some kind of way or I'm feeling alone in this conversation. It's really Mm -hmm. important to have those touchstones and for you, mm-hmm. you've been a really great touchstone for me, which is why I've had you on the mm-hmm. podcast. I'm grateful we met, I think it was 2017. Like I said, everything blends together. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful we met at, tri, not Tri Yoga, we met at Indaba Yoga all those years ago. Yes. And I'm grateful that we had that opportunity to to meet and to connect. Um, and I'm grateful for that. the work you're doing in the community. You're healing us and you're allowing us to, create a space, a brave space to heal, which is in, integral to our well-being. So mm. tell us what's coming up for you. Where do people find you? Mm. And I'm going to, don't worry, everybody. I'm going to put this in the show notes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, do you have sure. any books that you recommend folks be reading? Where can we find you? How can we connect? How can we be a part of your yeah. community?
1: So I think a book I'd like to recommend is uh, Jaya John and Freedom Words for Your Brave Revolution. I think I've got the title correct, but that is a really amazing book. I'll look it up. Joy John is just amazing. Um, so things that I have coming up. So I have um, I do mixed yoga classes online, where you can find me at yogawithemmakelly.com, <laughs> and then I have some bipoc yoga, which is uh, healing underscore space underscore bipoc. And then I have African spirit, African underscore spiritual underscore traditions. And the Marrakesh Retreat gonna... is open to all. And you can find it on all of them platforms, the Marrakesh Retreat. And also, just this is a, going away a little bit, but I'm actually going to West Africa in a few weeks' time. I've been offered a full scholarship to uh, the Ivory Coast. So I'm going for a uh it's african drumming african dancing and i'm really looking forward to that i want
0: to go with you i can't wait uh so how long will you be
1: gone (laughs) i'm gonna be gone for two weeks so i'm like so excited to be going on this trip you know i'll be sharing photos and maybe not me dancing though my dancing is terrible
0: (laughs) when you get on when you get on the continent your ancestors will find you and bring that right bring you right right back into that into the mix
1: (laughs) no I think I think the white ancestors take over when it comes to dancing I
0: don't know. I think once you get on the continent, something might change. Oh, thank you for your talk (laughs) today. I'm so grateful to know you. Thanks for being a part of our intentional well being and giving us um, tips, abilities, and spaces for our own healing. You are amazing, Miss Emma. And I'm grateful to be in community with you and to call you friend and mentor. Thank you so much.